Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy poured beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Thursday morning, Mississippi. We're here live in the Element Well Studios. I'm Ashley Edwards. I'm filling in for Gerard today, acting as guest host. Gerard will be back tomorrow. I'm here in the Element Well Studios with Rhino. Rhino, I see you in there in the producer's booth. How are you today, man? Oh, it's it's Friday Eve, so it's always a good day, and uh, the debate's over with. So so that's done. <laughs> it was a, that was a heck of a debate last night. Fire. It was something. Well, you know, look, I, Gerard's going to be back tomorrow. I'm so honored to be here today guest hosting. Um, it occurred to me a minute ago as we were coming into the intro, all of Gerard's listeners now know exactly how my mother-in-law feels. They were hoping for somebody else, but they got me instead. But we've got a great show planned for you here today. We're going to be talking a lot about the debate last night. We're going to be uh, reviewing some of the things that happened. Our first guest in the 10 o'clock hour is going to be Frank Bordeaux chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Uh, we've also got Caleb Sailors from Super Talk Mississippi News. Caleb was actually there in the spin room last night. Oh, so yeah. He'll be giving us some insight on what happened there in the spin room. Uh, my friend Ricky Matthews, host of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi, is going to join us a little later. And then in the 12 o'clock hour, we're actually going to have David Beria, who is coming in as a surrogate of the Brandon Presley campaign. So it's going to be interesting to see his take on the way things uh, went last night. Uh, but obviously the debate is going to be the big topic of the day. Uh, you watched it last night, Rhino. What were your thoughts? Uh, well, my first thought was that's an hour I can't get back. Because for for any debate this late in the game, with less than a week before the election, how many hearts and minds are you really going to change? I mean, people are pretty much set in who they're going to vote for. And then you have that performance by both of them where neither one of them really took off and and did themselves a whole lot of favors. But on the flip side, it, it feels like if if you picked Brandon, if you're going to vote for Brandon Presley, you think he won? If you're going to vote for Tate Reeves, you think he won? And in reality, I think everybody was kind of a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right about that. And, you know, the question that I have when I watch a debate like that, how many people in Mississippi are really paying attention how many folks are watching that debate? How many of those folks that are watching are even undecided? I think a lot of right. politicos, folks like me, who love this stuff, 
they, they like to watch these debates. They like to see the back and forth. But I don't know how much it really moves the needle in a race like this. One debate, it's not really televised statewide unless you happen to find the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Channel. So it's not easy to access. Um, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of media out there about it. Obviously, Super Talk has done a great job of covering the debate. Uh, but how much is it going to move the needle in Mississippi? And my general thought is probably not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, there may be a handful of people on one side or the other that took away one talking point or one zinger, and they're like, you know what? Good on you. But the vast majority, yeah, they've, they've already made their mind up at this point. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to get into some other issues. We're going to talk a little bit about the war going on in Israel. We're going to talk a little bit about national politics. I'm sure that'll be a, a fun topic. We've got some great guests um, but let me just take a minute uh, by way of introduction for those of you that listen to Gerard regularly. You've probably heard me come on as a guest from time to time. Uh, but again, my name's Ashley Edwards. I'm here guest hosting for Gerard today. Um, a little bit about my background. You know, I'm a guy that grew up in the Pine Belt, fishing on the banks of the Okatoma, sitting on the top of a five gallon bucket, catfishing in the river. Um, you know, went on to work for Governor Haley Barber for two terms and got some really great insight into what happened and uh, what, what happens in state politics. Of course, my job during those years was Katrina recovery. I actually led the effort to recover from Hurricane Katrina, ran the Office of Recovery and Renewal, and uh, in, ended up staying on for Governor Bryant's first term. Uh, then I went to work as an economic developer in Mississippi, big part of the debate last night, talking about the economic development projects. So seen a lot of that firsthand. And then for the past eight years, uh, I was chairman, uh, president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. Lived down in Biloxi and um, lived there with my wife, my daughter, my two dogs. And we live right on Biloxi Bay. My neighbor, Ricky Matthews, is going to be on the show with us today. Um, so it's just really great to be here. You know, I was thinking as I was driving up this morning, Rhino, when I was a kid, young teenager, uh, Rush Limbaugh started becoming real popular. And I was a huge Rush Limbaugh fan back in those days. Absolutely loved listening to him and always wanted to do something like this. So it's a little surreal to be sitting here with the headphones on, the microphone in front of me. But uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. And uh, it's just a real honor to be talking to all of you guys out there in Mississippi. A couple things I want to remind you about. The C Spire text line is going to be open. We'd love to hear from you as we talk about what went on with the debate. Hear your thoughts, your opinions. Again, that C Spire text line is 601-879-4395. And we always remind you, please don't text and drive. That'd be a terrible thing. So please don't text and drive, but we'd love to hear from you. Uh, also, remember, uh, we're here in the Element Well Studios. And if you're thinking about or planning for retirement, uh, go to myelementwealth.com or call 601 957 6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Um, Rhino, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about last night as I was watching the debate and we were coming out of it is, you know, it's so difficult in this day and age to have to be a politician because it's not just about policy and it's not about the minutia and the grinding of governing. It's about the ability to score a soundbite. Oh, yeah. It's about the ability to feature yourself and your personality in a 10 second soundbite or on a debate stage for an hour. 
the issues we face are obviously a lot more important than that. Um, and, you know, we've only got this one shot at the debate, so this is the only time that we will see those two candidates on stage together. What did you think about the contrast between the two last night? Uh, it felt like Brandon Presley was trying to to play it up a little bit, to 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 tug on heartstrings, and it felt like Governor Reeves was a little too practiced. I mean... Why repeat the same line that three public service commissioners have gone to jail for the same exact thing Brandon Presley's done? He repeated that, what, five times throughout the debate? It's like, I get it. Once or twice, maybe a third time for emphasis if, like, a good comedian always comes back around. But five times? Like, they're, mm, let it go, man. You know, that you're absolutely right. They just kind of kept hitting the same points over and over. Uh, Brandon Presley talking about the... Uh, the TANF scandal over and over. Um, as you mentioned, Governor Reeves making the point of, you know, three public service commissioners have gone to jail for, for what happened here. And, you know, we didn't get a lot of new information. It was sort of a regurgitation of what we've seen in the campaign ads. Yeah, it was like you take all the campaign ads, the ones from YouTube and TV and the mailers, and you put them into one hour of back and forth. And that's really what we got. That's what that's what we had, you know, and and that's what a debate is good for these days. It's not really a substantive discussion about policy, although, you know, compared to just the craziness that's been going on in these Republican debates, where you've got so many candidates on stage talking over each other and jockeying for positioning, it was refreshing to have two guys there who were relatively orderly and sort of stuck to their time limits, allowed each other to speak, and both got to make their points. And so from that perspective, I think it was good that people got to hear from both both candidates. But there again, you know, that hour was up in a blink, and there just wasn't uh, enough time to really dig into, you know, who are these folks, what are their vision for Mississippi? And a lot of it was just sort of accusing each other of the various things that, again, we've seen in these campaign ads. It feels like it was a bit of a blessing and a curse that there was, that there's only one debate and that it was put on by one station, and that one station didn't quite put everything they had into it. And I'm not trying to, to downgrade them or denigrate them or anything, but like the, the man on the street questions, those were all filmed in one spot. Right. They went one place, found the questions, found the people, did it, got it done. That's that's kind of the curse of it. The blessing was, like you were saying, the talking over. There were two people on stage, but they didn't have the $15 million budget with crowd mics and all this to where when someone did try to talk over the other, you could still hear it. Right. This time, when they were trying to talk over each other, you pretty much couldn't hear them. You could hear some, some nonsense going on, but it wasn't mic'd. Well, let us hear from you out there on the ceasefire text line. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the debate last night. It's going to be a topic of conversation. Uh, up next, we're going to have Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. It'll be great to hear his opinions on the debate and hear some of what the governor's campaign is thinking. Uh, we're going to go out to a break now. We're live in the Element Well Studios. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Good morning. We're back here live in the Element Well Studios on Super Talk Mississippi. I've got Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party, joining me live in studio. Frank, how are you this morning? Very good, Ashley. Thank you for having me on. Frank, you're an old friend. It's good to see you this morning, and always good to see another Coast guy in Jackson. we got to keep them in order up here. <laughs> no doubt. we we you got a Coast day today. That's right. Absolutely. Coast day. So, Frank, I'm sure you were there at the debate last night. I'm, I'm sure that's been a big topic of conversation with you and your circles. What were your thoughts on the debate last night and on the governor's performance? I think the governor did exactly what we knew he would do. He's He's a very good debater. We know that he knows the facts. We know that he is very proud of the record that Mississippi has, and I think he did a very good job of conveying that record. Uh, unfortunately, in these debates, you know, th- there were some punches thrown. I think the governor did a very good job defending his record, and it's Mississippi's record. It's the Republican legislative record. And so when Brandon wants to attack us on our record, he's attacking the entire Republican delegation in both the House, the Senate, and the governor. And so we have a lot of good things going on in Mississippi, and we're going to continue to articulate our record and our vision for the future of Mississippi. We've done it from the very beginning, and, and our opponent has continued. You know, 12 months ago when he got in this thing, he he started hitting right from the gate on issues that did not affect the governor. And we were able to tar- put that out clearly, that the governor's not involved in these issues. The governor's governing. And I think Mississippians saw that watched it last night or are going to watch it today or w- whenever they have time to watch it, they're going to see on one side there is a calm, cool, collected governor, and on the other side there's a bully. And so I think that the governor did what he had to do. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, Mississippians are going to come back home and come to the, the – the, all you have to do is look around Mississippi and see the success. Job growth, record unemployment, record high graduation rates, our public schools are doing great, huge investment in uh, job force training. And so all those things that we see as Mississippians every day, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you see Mississippi is better today than it was four years ago, and under Tate Reeves will be better four years from now. You know, I think a lot of us that watch politics, and, you know, for me it's almost like a spectator sport. I mean, I'm just a political junkie. I love that stuff. And we probably anticipated that last night would be a fiery debate, sort of, you know, similar to what we see with a lot of the attack ads, you know, that are on television. Um, They started off talking about the Medicaid issue. And one of the first things that occurred to me, you know, after the governor's response is, um, you guys obviously knew that Medicaid was going to be a hammer that the Presley campaign was just going to hit you with over and over and over. And I think it really speaks to what my experience has been with Governor Reeves is he's a he's a man of principle because it would have been easy. And, I, and frankly, a lot of politicians in Mississippi history would have just walked back from that and said, look, I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and take care of that so that that can't be used politically against me. But Tate Reeves made it very clear he does not believe that Medicaid expansion is right for Mississippi. And he stuck with that despite it potentially being a political liability. Talk a little bit about his views on that and sort of the way you see that issue unfolding. Yeah, so I mean it's it's very similar to his 
uh, approach to public education is Mississippi for years and years and years threw money at, at the, the problem. And it wasn't directed towards anything. And then the Republicans, under then-Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves, invested money into the classroom, put money from the district office into the teacher's hands, and then we passed third grade. Great. The same approach is the approach he's taken to health care. It, it would be easy to just pass Medicaid. I mean, that's the easy answer. But we look at the states around us that have done that, and they're having to cut budgets in, in other areas of the state to make up for the, the money that they're now spending that they didn't anticipate to spend. And so being first at everything, you know, the first out of the gate to, to implement a policy isn't always the best thing. And the governor is going to work hard with professionals in that industry, and he's done that. His, his health care plan that he rolled out a, a month or so ago, that's $700 million. You're going to see other states that are going to adopt his same policies. But he wanted to make sure it was vetted, and it was a program that will actually work, that can actually get passed, and will be good for everybody. And so he will take that approach. He's working with the hospital administrators and, and, and trying to figure out this problem. This is a problem nationally, and it's not unique to just Mississippi. And so we have to find nurses, and the legislature did a good job this past year of incentivizing nursing, and we're going to continue to do that. We've, we're incentivizing doctors uh, in Mississippi, and we're going to try to grow our doctor pool. Those are big issues as well. And so the one thing that I think that he pointed out last night, it is easy to say we're going to expand Medicaid. If we expanded Medicaid, we would lose folks that are on current insurance right now and those hospitals will make less money because the, the Medicaid reimbursement is less than private uh, insurance. And there's a lot of Mississippians right now that can get on ACA that qualify for ACA, and it wouldn't cost them a dime, and those benefits would be greater. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of what I saw back in 2003. I was a young journalist working in the newspaper business when Haley Barber ran against my, Ronnie Musgrove. And, of course, during that time, uh, medical malpractice reform, tort reform, became sort of the big issue of the day. Uh, and Governor Barber went throughout the state really hitting Musgrove on, uh, you know, we're going to see doctors' offices closing down because of malpractice insurance costs. It's going to hurt hospitals. And it's almost like the same type of playbook, but this is a much different issue. And so, you know, I always say, Frank, politics and governing are completely different things. Politics is sound bites. It's marketing. It's easy. Governing is hard. It takes, as you said, getting in the room with decision makers and people who are affected and dealing with sometimes lots of imperfect options. Um, what are your thoughts on um, the ability to govern between those two candidates and based what you saw last night on the debate stage? Well, there's no question. Governor Reeves has relationships with the, having a supermajority in the House and the Senate. And so he he is he has governed with them. And in, in many cases, he served, in you know, obviously in the Senate uh, as the uh, lieutenant governor. And so he has relationships. They, they are going to continue to govern. The governor, throughout this entire campaign, has not taken his eye off the ball of policy and governing. Uh, the day-to-day -day operations of the state of Mississippi. I do want to go back to one, uh, and you brought up the tort reform, and I think that's a very valid point, is a lot of things that Governor Reeves and the Republicans are doing right now 
we're not going to see the benefits immediately. But tort reform was one of the biggest economic development tools the state of Mississippi has ever passed. Governor Barber doesn't – obviously, we're pr- proud we passed it, but I'm not sure that people realize to what extent that has been a tool for economic development in Mississippi. And there are policies that we're passing, that we're doing right now, that we hope has that same multi-generational effect that's positive for Mississippi, of bringing jobs to Mississippi. Look, our friends in Arkansas have a supermajority Republicans over there. They're still trying to figure out how to pass tort reform. So we did it We did it way, way before it was cool to do, and it's been a huge benefit to Mississippi. Governor's working on those same type of issues. We've only got a few seconds here before we go to break, but um, tell me a little bit, how did, how did the governor feel coming out of last night? What was his attitude, his mood last night? Oh, we out? felt great. You know, we, uh, we, well, as soon as we got out of the spin room, we all convened, talked about it. Everybody was very positive. The governor felt good. He was, look, he was calm and confident when he walked in. He was calm and confident when he walked out. You know Governor Reeves. He, he's not going to be a, a flashy politician. He is a policy guy. And, and I think that that steady hand that we saw last night is what Mississippians want to lead us in the next four years. Well, you know, that you're absolutely right about that. I mean, you know, there are politicians out there that are great retail stump politicians, and there are folks that are policy wonks. And, uh, and you know, in my experience with the governor, he's always been a very thoughtful, deliberative, sober guy. Um, you know, he's not a guy that just says yes to the first thing that comes in front of him. He vets things. He analyzes them. He talks to people. Uh, and he's and not I, afraid to say no, even <laughs> to his best friends. And so I know that firsthand. <laughs> I, I do, too. I do, too. I, I agree with that 100 percent, Frank. And uh, That's important to be able to say no. You know, it, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, we're not just electing a governor in a few days. We're electing a government because the governor will appoint so many people That's that right. will ultimately make up the government of Mississippi, the regulatory groups, the boards and commissions. Um, tell me a little bit about Tate Reeves' philosophy as it relates to how he makes appointments and the people he will put in to govern Mississippi. If you look at the folks, and, and this is something that uh, the governor hasn't said. This is a Thad Cochran thing that he has said. If you're looking for an appointment, you're probably not the right person. A lot of the folks that he has appointed are true professionals that took pay cuts to come work for state government. They never were seeking an appointment. And those are the kind of people that you want there. You want professionals that leave their private sector life to go work for the state of Mississippi for a period of time that brings their expertise. And the governor's done that. I will say, and if we have a couple seconds, the uh, you know one thing that a legislator down on the coast told me that he talked to one of his constituents that was supporting Brandon Presley. He said, if something were to happen to one of our senators, Roger Wicker or Cindy Hyde-Smith, would you want Benny Thompson to be appointed United States Senate? And that person took the sign out of the yard. This has bigger implications than just the governor. We're listening to Frank Bordeaux, and we'll be back after this break in the live in the Element Well studio. Frank, just stick with us. We'll have another segment here. Perfect. Thank you so much. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along. 
Welcome back to the Element Wealth Studios. You're live here with Ashley Edwards, guest hosting for Gerard. And I have in the studio with me Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Frank, you're a political pro. You've been around this a long time. You've done this a long time. How much do you think the debate last night moves the needle? I think a lot of the folks that were watching the debate, you know, were Tate Reeves folks or Brandon Presley folks, but there are those independents out there. And I, I think that, as I said earlier in the earlier segment, you know, if you're looking for a steady hand and you're looking for somebody that understands state government, I think those folks will break towards uh, Tate Reeves after that debate. Uh, obviously, I'm biased, but I, I do believe, and in, in just judging by the text messages and emails and, and Facebook messages I've gotten, some of those folks were definitely on the fence, and they are 100% for the governor. And so I don't believe debates are the be-all, end-all, especially these days. Uh, everybody's got so much other things to do. Typically, it's just the politicos that are really tuning in. But in this particular election, I think that folks are really starting to pay attention. And the good thing about, you know, right now we feel in the Republican Party huge momentum coming our way at the right time. There are people that are waking up that see that this is could be possibly a close race, but it's a close race if Republican voters don't show up to vote. And so we're very we're focused on GOTV. Thousands of volunteers are making phone calls, knocking on doors, and even our surrounding GOP partners in Alabama and Tennessee, they're getting engaged. And that's indicative of what the Mississippi Republican Party did for Virginia in Yunkin's race. When We literally had more volunteers in Mississippi making phone calls and out knocking doors for Virginia. They're reciprocating to us. We all understand in Mississippi how important this is. But we also see the onslaught of out-of-state money coming in. In Mississippi, that's what's really woken up the Republican base. They don't like that Mississippi's trying to be bought by California or New York. And that's not just talking points. That's really happening in real time. $12 million, $10 million of which has come from out-of-state. Some of these donors are very, very questionable donors as far as they're completely conflicting with Mississippi values. And so... That has woken up our base. Everybody's working hard. Look, I went out to the warehouse to get signs to deliver. Our warehouse is empty of signs, which is a good thing at this point in time in the campaign. But we just have to keep being motivated, keep our folks mobilized, give them a task to do. They will do it. And the good thing, we're not having to pay these people. Brandon's having to spend a ton of money buying friends. I mean, it's purely in his text message he's sending out to people, $40 an hour to introduce me to your friends. We're not having to pay $40 an hour to introduce the governor to Mississippians. Mississippians know our governor, and we have a lot of volunteers working in all 82 counties. And that's one of the focus that the party has had. Lucian Smith did a fantastic job. We've had great chairmen in the past. They've really been focused on building our party. Over the past three years, we have built our party. Our clubs have grown. Our women's groups have grown. The Mississippi Federation of Republican Women, they are working the phones every day, every night. And that's that's something that we have in Mississippi as a Republican Party that the Democrats just don't have. And out-of-state money isn't going to buy that.
You know, let's talk a little bit about Republican voters. Um, as you well know, a, a statewide election like this really is a lot of small regional elections. And, um, you know, Tate Reeves is going to probably do really well on the coast. It's going to give him some buffer. Uh, Brandon Presley is going to probably do well in the Delta, in northeast Mississippi, where he's from. Um, when you look at sort of what's going to happen in the various regions of the state that will ultimately decide this elect, uh, election, what do you kind of predict based on what you're seeing and, and where Tate is going to be really strong out of the gate? I do believe that we're going to be stronger than anybody gives us credit for in northeast Mississippi. I've, I've spent more time since I've been chairman in northeast Mississippi than anywhere else. Look, those folks are mobilized. They're excited. They want to elect uh, Republican governor. I think that's going to be the big surprise of the night is northeast Mississippi, where Brandon expects to do well. That's going to come in strong for the governor. Obviously, I believe the coast is going to come in strong. We need good turnout uh, on the coast. We need good turnout in Rankin County and Madison County and DeSoto County, obviously. But all these small counties, Scott County is turning from Democrat to Republican. That's going to be those smaller counties that are turning Republican are going to be a huge help. And we're not taking those for granted. We're going to every county. And if you watch Governor on Facebook, you watch me on Facebook, we are everywhere. And we're going to continue to do that. We're we're not taking off the gas uh, anytime between now and next Tuesday. We have full schedules and we're ready to work. You know, I, I was watching some of the post-debate coverage from the spin room last night and uh, the question was posed to Governor Reeves, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, how confident are you um, of a win? And he said, well, you tell me who's going to vote, and I'll tell you who's going to win. And I, it really, I think that was a very pragmatic way of answering the question, because at the end of the day, turnout is going to determine so much if, if Republican voters get out. And one of the names that was invoked several times last night was Donald Trump by, by both candidates. Uh, obviously, big news this week, the Trump endorsement for, for Governor Reeves. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about as I saw that Trump endorsement, and, and, and I will say from the from the beginning here, uh, if I was betting money on who's going to win the presidential primary in Mississippi, I would put my money on Donald Trump without hesitation. That'd be so, a safe bet. So I think it's I think it's going to help Tate Reeves a lot. One thing that Brandon Presley has really done is he's tried to appeal to that crossover, maybe center-right Republican voter that um, you know isn't an ideologue to say, switch over and vote for me. Do you have any concern that the Trump endorsement could actually hurt with some of those folks that may still be in that undecided camp? I really don't, because if you look at the, the folks that have endorsed Governor Reeves, obviously Donald Trump is, is the big name. But we also have Haley Barber, which is a big name. We have Trent Lott, which is a big name. And we have all of our statewides. We have former Congressman Harper. We have our con congressional delegation. We have Senator Roger Wicker, Senator Hyde Smith. And so all, Republicans are coming together. And it's we're, we are a big tent. And so you may not like one policy that we have or one person that has endorsed, but you're going to like the whole of it. And so Republicans are going to come home. If a Republican is upset about a single policy issue, I believe that they're going to come home to vote Republican because they're scared of the uh, the 99% of the other votes that Brandon Presley's going to take. 
In a few minutes we've got left here, Frank, you know, we've obviously talked a lot about the governor's race. Um, there's not a lot of contested races sort of across the state, certainly not on the statewide ballots, but some of the local races that really are key to you, what are the races that you're going to be watching on election night? So we're watching, with, there's uh, several legislative races, there's several sheriff races, and one phenomenon that we've noticed, especially this cycle is there's a lot of traditional Democrats that have taken off the D and put on put on an I, and so we're looking at some of those sheriff races where we have a good Republican running the sheriff and they're running against the independent. Uh, there's some circuit clerk races that we're looking similar situations, but the if you look at the state as a whole, and, and Austin Barber, who's a great friend of both of ours, you know he really digs into the numbers and he did a really nice spreadsheet to show the math. In, in the state of Mississippi as far as contested races, but who's a Republican? There's not a lot of contested races, both on the Democrat side and the Republican side. A lot of things were decided in the primary, but the math benefits the Republicans. And so we're going to continue to reach out to all Mississippians. Obviously, we want to win down ticket, and we're going to, we're going to elect more Republicans this cycle than we've ever elected in the state of Mississippi, from supervisor on up to the governor. Uh, and we're very proud of that, and we, we have been focused. And the Mississippi Republican Party has put as much resources as we have into some of those down-ticket races and get-out-to-vote efforts. You know, if, if Governor Reeves wins a second term, he's obviously going to be term-limited out, and so in four more years we're going to have a, an, an open race for a new governor. Part of your job is, is to build that Republican bench, and I know elections like this are so important because you're really getting those next Republican stars that can move up. Give me some names, folks that you're watching, that you really see as, as being those next Republican stars in Mississippi. Maybe the listeners haven't heard of them before, but, but folks that are really on your radar. Look, we have a deep, deep bench, and we have a lot of great folks that are talking about running. Some people, it kind of feels like 2027 elections already started. I want to focus on this election. But look, we have fantastic legislators that may want to move up and run statewide. Um, obviously, Briggs Hobson comes to mind. Everybody, you know, he's appropriations chair. He's done, been a great leader. Uh, but. And who knows where our state, current statewides are going to want to go. You know, is Michael Watson going to want to stay Secretary of State, or is he going to want to run? Is, is Andy Gibson going to want to do something? So I don't want to speculate. That gets into primaries. I, my role is not to pick in a primary. We uh, beat Democrats, and so I'm going to stick to my role. But 2027 is going to be a very interesting year in Mississippi politics, for sure. Well, I know you're going to be busy as heck for the next several days, Frank. I hope very sincerely that you get a good vacation uh, after Election Day. But you never My know. My wife is going to make it happen. We may have a runoff. Frank Bordeaux, chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Frank, thank you so much for joining us today, and best of luck to you over the next several days. Uh, good seeing you. Good thank you, my friend. You. Thank you very right. much. We'll be back after this break. Live in the Element Well Studios, I'm Ashley Edwards, and you're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Days with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. What you want, baby? I got what you 
give Aretha a little bit of respect there. Let her sing us in back from the break. I'm Ashley Edwards live in the Element Well Studios. I'm here with Rhino. You know, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to be wondering about how to get Super Talk Mississippi's 2023 election special coverage. You're going to be able to get live up-to-the-minute results from across the state during the, 20, uh, the 2023 special electric election coverage here on Super Talk. It's going to start at 8 p.m. next Tuesday night. You're going to hear results from Super Talk Mississippi News, uh, the entire team, plus analysis, discussion from guests across the political spectrum. You can also hear election coverage on your local Super Talk Mississippi station, the Super Talk app, and on Super Talk TV. So we'll hope you'll tune in here to Super Talk. Uh, next Tuesday is going to be a big night, Rhino. Any predictions? I'm still feeling like it's going to be a, a Tate Reeves re-election. I think the five to seven point range is a little generous. It might be closer to two or three, but it still feels like there hasn't been enough from the the Brandon Presley camp to to swing that much. No matter what the polls from the Democrat Governors Association say, to me that felt more like a a fundraising poll. It's like, hey, we're really close. Give us some more money. We can get it done. We're so close. Give us more money. That's what that felt like because it it was really slanted. Well, there's no question that some of these polls and some of the announcements are used to try to drive fundraising. There's always the desire to make it look like it's a close race. And I think it probably is a close race from the standpoint that um, it has the potential to be close. But but just as Tate Reeves said last night, who's going to turn out to vote? Um, and you know, look, I, I used to I used to say you could run a fence post for governor in Mississippi as a Democrat, and he's going to get forty five percent if the right people turn out without any real work in, in political campaigns, and that's because of the demographics in Mississippi. Um, but the question is, are African American voters going to turn out in the type of numbers necessary to get get a Democrat across the finish line? And you know, I grew up in a Mississippi that was controlled by Democrats. My parents. Grew Grew up in Mississippi that was controlled by Democrats, and I was part of of Haley Barber's campaign in 2003. I remember that very well, and you know that was really the change that we saw. And so, after 140 years of Democratic control, you've had now 12 years that Republicans have held super majorities, and so you've seen this shift in the Mississippi electorate in voting for Republicans. Um, it is yet to be seen if a Democrat can get across that finish line on a statewide ballot. Um, and we'll see what happens here. Four years ago, a lot of people thought that Jim Hood would be in that position, that Jim Hood was going to really give Tate Reeves a run for his money. And in the end, it was a close race, but it wasn't that close. I mean, you know, it, it just... Um, it wasn't anything that, that went down to the wire. It wasn't anything where they were doing recounts. Uh, and so Brandon Presley is going to have to improve greatly on what Jim Hood did four years ago. Um, Jim Hood had name recognition. He had been a statewide elected official for years. Uh, he had a sophisticated campaign infrastructure, and he still couldn't get across that finish line. I feel like the debate was part of what sunk... Hood's chances the last time around. Right. Because there was a pretty big souring on him 
when it came down to the question of can you say something nice about your opponent? And candidate Reeves, Lieutenant Governor Reeves at the time, talked nicely about Jim Hood. And then Jim Hood came back with, well, he can raise a lot of money. And that soured a lot of people on Jim Hood last time around. I didn't see a moment like that last night that really would have a big swing one way or the other. I didn't either, Rhino. I didn't either. You know, look, I, I think any reasonable person would, would admit Brandon Presley's a pretty good retail politician, very folksy. Um, he's a populist. I mean, there's no he calls himself self-professed a populist. And so, you know, he sort of has all the right ingredients right from central casting to be a down-home, former small-town Mississippi mayor, you know, running for governor. Um, does he have the name ID in other parts of the state to be able to get across that finish line? Probably not on the level that Jim Hood did. Um there's a lot of changes going on. We're seeing demographic changes in Mississippi. We see what happened in, in Georgia. Uh, but I'm not quite ready to call it yet to say that a Democrat is in a position that he could win that election. But we will see next Tuesday. We're going out here at the top of the hour. Coming up next is Fox News, followed by Super Talk Mississippi News. We hope you'll stick with us through the break here. I'm Ashley Edwards, live in the Element Well Studios, and we'll be back quickly. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long time And I think it's gonna be a long, long And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays. We're here live in the Element Wealth Studio. I'm Ashley Edwards filling in for Gerard today. And I'm joined live in studio by Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist for Super Talk Mississippi News. Caleb was in the spin room after the debate last night. So, Caleb, I can't wait to hear about what you saw there in the spin room. Tell me a little bit, paint the picture for the listeners of what that was like after the debate. So, J.T. Mitchell, our news director, was in the actual room where the debate took place. I was in what you call the spin room where, after the debate finished, the candidates came out and talked, you know, gave their little spiel to the press and answered a couple of questions. So, I was in the press pool there that was able to ask questions afterward. And during the debate, they had a big screen TV. They had the debate uh, streamed for us. So we were watching it. I was joined by other members of the media and photographers. And really, it was just like a big watch party, kind of. They had pizza for us. They had drinks. And so I was like, okay, my uh, colleagues, my peers in the media and I are just sitting here watching this debate. And we exchanged laughs and we talked to each other. And we you know, kind of had our own little commentary going on about what we thought was taking place during the debate. And you mentioned the debate. It was a very spirited one last night with both candidates kind of slinging mud at each other. You saw a lot 
I would say more personal attacks than policy, you know, disagreements or agreements. And so it was kind of interesting to see everybody else. I was I kind of I like to read the room and look at people's faces and observe what's going on. And I'm looking at different you know media members, what they're thinking, what they're saying, kind of their reaction to things and kind of formulating my own thoughts of what I think is going on during the debate, too. So it was a lot of that. That was kind of the scene of last night of in my world. Well, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Of course, I was watching it live on television. Um, I was thinking to myself, a lot of Mississippi voters probably haven't seen a lot of Brandon Presley. He's not <clears throat> a guy that's been, you know, um, on television a lot over the years. And so that may have been, for some, their first time to kind of get a, a taste of, of Brandon Presley. And, uh, you know, he was a very skillful debater, um, sort of very folksy uh, way about him, uh, you know, impressed guy from that standpoint. Tate Reeves, we know, is a little bit more of a policy guy, an analytical guy. Not that level of retail politician. Doesn't seem as comfortable on the stump. Um, but he still defended his positions pretty well. What was the sentiment from the people watching there in the room? Kind of, kind of what you just illustrated right there. I mean, you and I both come from a debate background, as we were talking about off the record earlier, or off air earlier, and it did seem that exact way. I mean, Brandon Presley seemed more polished. He seemed more, I wouldn't say more prepared. They both seemed prepared. He just seemed more comfortable right there on the stage, you know, debating, and he was more comfortable attacking Tate Reeves and looking him in the eye and pointing at him and everything, whereas Tate Reeves kind of you know, went over his talking points, and he attacked Brandon Presley. He defended his arguments and everything, but he didn't seem as comfortable. He just seemed like he was, you know, let's get this debate over with. Let's talk about policy, and let's get out of here, where Brandon Presley was, like, out for blood last night. Well, and, you know, you have to think to yourself, Brandon Presley obviously has been waiting for this moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're Tate Reeves, you you don't want to give him lots of opportunities to debate you. I mean, you don't want to give him the opportunity to kind of build his name and build his credibility on the back of attacking you while you have to stand there and take it. So it's understandable why Governor Reeves wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to do four or five debates. Uh, Brandon Presley obviously came out swinging. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a fiery debate. I mean, you know, the, the advertisements, just the sort of politics around the race uh, has been that way. Did you see that same thing carry over into their speeches in the spin room? A little bit. I mean, Tate Reeves emphasized the point where Brandon Presley had taken donations from a very pro-choice entity and how, you know, as governor, he would never do that. He would he stands for his pro-life cause, even though they both agreed that the, or they, the one thing they agreed upon last night was that they're both pro-life. But Tate Reeves used that as an opportunity to say, well, why are you taking money from a pro-abortion activist group, pretty much? And then on the Brandon Presley side, Brandon Presley went after Tate Reeves for his alleged involvement in the welfare scandal and harped on the fact that, you know, or not the fact, but harped on his argument that, you know, saying Tate Reeves gave money to a personal trainer and all this. So a lot of that did carry over into the spin room, but we did get a little bit of policy out of that. I actually was the uh, last person to be able to ask Brandon Presley a question last night, and I asked him how he would work with the Republican supermajority in the legislature to pass Medicaid expansion. Well, he said he would sign um, day one, work with the Division of Medicaid to file Chapter 1115 to start the process of expanding Medicaid. But then he answered further, though, and said he'd be more than happy to work across the aisle with Republicans. He likes working across the aisle. Um, On Tate Reeves' front, He talked about how he didn't think we should expand Medicaid in Mississippi, how he pointed to Arkansas and Louisiana and said, 
you know, these states are having the same hospital crisis as us right now, but our taxpayers aren't having to face the burden of Medicaid expansion that their taxpayers are having to face right now. So I thought both, you know, carried themselves well in the spin room. I thought they both defended themselves pretty well, and I thought they articulated a little further on some of their points. Now, Tate Reeves, one answer that was asked of him twice now, once in the debate and once in the spin room, was would he go after prosecuting women who go get abortions across state lines? He did not answer that question. And so I'm still kind of eager to hear from the governor what he would actually have to say about that. How many media members were there? Was it a big media event? Did, was, was there a lot of chatter from the media there, many of which I'm certain probably were not real pro-Tate Reeves? It was mostly local media. The local Jackson stations were there. WAPT, obviously they hosted it. WJTV and W um, LBT were there. And then you had a couple of other media members, someone from Mississippi uh, Public Broadcasting and the Associated Press. But really... It wasn't a huge, there wasn't a huge media contingency there, but a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people I knew. It was good to see some, you know, friends of mine that I see out and about whenever I'm at uh, events on the field, but there wasn't a huge media presence, but yeah, I mean, you could, you could insinuate the general sentiment there was not a pro Tate Reeves one, but I, I was there just to be an objective journalist. I didn't have a dog in the fight. I'm here just to cover the event, just to, you know, try to ask questions and see where the candidates stand on things. Did you see any um did, did you see any contrast between the kind of media questions being asked to the two candidates? I thought they were they were fair last night. I don't think anybody was trying to score gotcha points with anybody. You know, it's uh it's so interesting. Rhino and I were talking when the when the show first came on about um you know, for those of us that are political junkies that love this stuff, that watch this stuff, you know, we look forward to these debates. I mean, goodness, you know, my wife is probably listening in right now. She'll always ask me if if I want her to make some Rotel dip when the new Republican <laughs> debate is, the, the presidential debate is going to come on. And we almost do it like a sporting event. But I know that most people in Mississippi just aren't that way. In fact, I called friends of mine this morning on the drive over to the studio just to say, tell me your thoughts on the debate. I just wanted to get some, uh, you know, just get some feedback. And the the probably the primary piece of feedback I got was, well, I didn't watch it or I haven't heard anything about it. And so that being said, it leads me to wonder how much does this really impact the race? How many people in Mississippi are really paying attention to something like this? What's your what's your thoughts on that? And you would hope that, you know, when you have a broadcast governor's debate, you know, it was broadcast on WAPT and on Mississippi Public Broadcasting, that people would tune in and go out of their way to hear. You were right earlier in saying a lot of people haven't heard much from Brandon Presley other than the ads they see on YouTube or on TV, but this was an opportunity to see authentic Brandon Presley in a debate against his challenger or against his opponent who's the incumbent like this is the moment right here and I can't tell you how amount of the amount of text messages I got yesterday from people saying what what happened in the debate last night not what did you think of the debate what happened in the debate right. and I'm like well you can go back and watch it you can go back and stream it or what do you think or who should I vote for and I'm like I'm not in the business of telling people who to vote for what to think like you can read what we put out on supertalk.fm there's a little plug right there but it, it I I do think that the uh, number of people watching probably consisted of a lot of politicos a lot of people who are just political junkies like you and I and I I kind of lament that a little bit because you want more people to get involved in the political process. You want people to know who they're voting for or what they're voting for or where the candidates stand on issues. Well, you know, in politics is such a nasty business. Um, you, you know, I, I always think to myself, 
we have to remember that these are human beings. These are mm-hmm. people. You know, they have families. They uh, they have feelings, emotions, all those things. And, uh, you know, we almost turn them into figures and just try to tear them down. And, you know, this has been a nasty race. Um, I think a lot of people expected going into it, it, it was going to be. Um, a lot of people will say, I don't like negative campaigning, but it always happens. And the reason it happens is because it works. Absolutely. Who do you think had the upper hand last night in terms of sort of really playing gotcha to the other candidate? Well, I'm not in the business of picking winners and losers, but I will say I thought uh, Brandon Presley made it his mission to, I'm not saying attack or disparage Tate Reeves, but to paint the picture of I'm on Brandon Presley's side saying he's the more empathetic candidate. He's more for the people of Mississippi and that Tate Reeves is this elitist. But I did think Tate Reeves defended himself. And you saw a moment of clarity kind of where Tate Reeves showed his human side saying, you know, don't talk about my family. Don't talk about my brother. I'm on the ballot. My brother's not. So you did see a little bit of that human nature come out too. But Brandon Presley definitely was more on the attacking side. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for giving us some insight into what happened there at the spin room last night. Uh, Really appreciate your insights and uh, stick with us. We're heading into a break here now. This is Ashley Edwards. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk. We'll be back in just a moment. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Good morning. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. This is Ashley Edwards. I'm live in the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. I'm joined now by my good friend Ricky Matthews, host of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Ricky, how are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, Ashley, how you doing, my friend? Man, I am doing as well as I can be sitting in this driver's seat for the first time <laughs> guest hosting a show. I know a few years ago you got your first taste of this. It's uh, this is a this is a new experience, isn't it? Well, well, it is, man. And it's, you know, go sit in that chair after being a publisher, in your case, you know, being a community leader and working for Haley Barber and Phil Bryan along the way. To sit, uh, you know, at a seat with a live microphone, it's a little bit intimidating, but I, I think once you, once you realize that you're not trying to, you're, you're going to be who you are. And once you decide you're going to be who you are, it goes pretty smoothly. And listen, I've listened to every word this morning. And uh, you, you're a natural. You've done a terrific job this morning. Well, thank you so much for that, Ricky. I, that means a lot coming from you. You're a person that I have an incredible amount of respect for. And, you know, I, I'm so glad you got to be on with me today. There is probably nobody in Mississippi who has had a front row seat to more 
gubernatorial campaigns, politics, big policy issues. Of course, your career as publisher of the Sun-Herald, uh, your, your newspaper career even after that. You saw this happen in other states, and you've seen this on the front lines. We've talked a lot about the debate today. But let's talk a little bit more generally about politics in Mississippi. And, you know, you certainly came up at a time when Republicans didn't have a shot to win a statewide race. And then we all remember in the 1990s, a guy like Governor Fordyce, uh, who, who came in and was the only statewide elected official that was Republican for a while. You were there on the front lines of sort of the Republican revolution in, in Mississippi that was launched by Haley Barber and all the changes that happened so fast. Where do you think we are today, and how do you think this governor's race kind of fits into that broader theme? Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, because there's this uh, there's this national political thing. You and I have talked about it so many times before. The world is so polarized today, and the way that social media works, and the way that news outlets are, are situated today, news outlets from a national perspective and from a state perspective. I'll come back to that in just a second. But the uh, there, there's such a polarizing thing today. However, I what, when I talk to people, Ashley, and I think you have the same same experience, there are a lot of people in the middle. They're moderates. They're leaning. You know, they're in the middle, leaning right, or they're in the middle of leaning left, and they want us to solve problems. They want us to focus on solving problems. And you know, it's interesting if you look at the state of Mississippi. It's done a fairly good job with economic development. You see teacher pay raises. You you look at you know what they now call the Mississippi miracle as reading scores continue to go better. You know, we, in spite of all the politics, we've been able to actually focus on on solving problems. Uh, the point I wanted to make about media in general, I think media has too often worked too hard to tip the scale and without really naming the organizations. I see nonprofit news organizations breaking stories in Mississippi, uh, you know, you know, just a week out from the election. And if you go look at who's funding these organizations, Oftentimes, it's, it, it, in most cases, you're going to find that the uh, that the funders are incredibly politically motivated, and they want to exact change in, in the state. And uh, I, man, I know you came from from news media yourself. You're a former reporter. Uh, I spent a career in news media. I covet the days when news is about providing facts and letting people make their own decision, and uh, and not so much. Of course, on the editorial pages, we identified it as an editorial, but 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 bias has snuck into everything that's happening in media today, and I don't think that that's a good place to be, to be honest with you. It makes it harder for people to make decisions, and too often, the, you know, powerful funders are working really hard to tip the scale. So it's a, it's a mess, is, is the way I would say it, you know, and it's hard to kind of sort through all of the, all of the facts that, and the distortions of campaigns to get to where you want to be, but I think people are working to try to sort that out in spite of all this. And you know what? It's difficult, Ricky. I think you're absolutely right. It's something that you and I have talked about a lot before, and that is, you know, gone are the days when when reporters, that certainly reporters are human beings. They have political positions. They have preferences. But there were certainly times when they would give a straight-up story, fair and balanced coverage. Today, what we see is a lot of the media entities, they don't even pretend anymore. They they have become political PR mouthpieces for candidates or movements. Um, and it's not confined to one side. It happens on both sides. You and I see it and talk about it. 
And so it, the, the difficulty is where does it leave the voter? Uh, how, how do you wade through all of this nonsense and information that's out there to really get down to what are the things I need to know about these candidates? W- what do you do, Ricky? Hey, you know what? You know what's so ironic, Ashley, is that Super Talk Mississippi Media creates Super Talk Mississippi News. Super Talk, you know, Super Talk has conservative shows, but lots of shows are don't play it either way from a political point of view. The irony to me is they're known as sort of a conservative's collection of radio stations, but they have built this very, very traditional news effort, this unbiased. You had Caleb on just a few minutes ago. Uh, I'm proud of Super Talk and what they've been able to accomplish. I think more people should download their app and and maybe hot link to uh, supertalk.fm website so they can can have access to the incredible news effort that's underway at Super Talk Mississippi. I, I think that's kind of ironic. Because you you know these others sort of play themselves out as being non-biased and and uh, and you know objective and oftentimes they're they're just the opposite of that. But you know it's an interesting place and of course the the the, the uh, debate was very interesting. I thought the way you and Rhino talked about it was pretty spot on. If you support Presley, you probably think he won. If you support uh, Reeves, you probably think he won. I don't think that anything definitive came out of last night. Um, so you know it's. Uh, I, I say you, you can't strike up a win for either side the way I look at it. You know, it's we've talked a lot about the debate today and, and uh, you know, kind of analyzed it from, from every angle. What's going to be interesting to me uh, is what is turnout going to look like next Tuesday? Um, what groups are going to turn out? What's going to motivate people to turn out? Um, you know, and, and turn out historically in Mississippi has not been great. And so the difficulty is... Yeah. It's not just getting a, a a person in Mississippi, a citizen, to agree with you. It's getting them to go and cast that ballot on your behalf. And um, did you did yeah. you think you heard anything last night um, that would lead someone who may not be motivated to vote to actually get up and go do it? Well, I, here's what my thought about it. It may not necessarily be something that was discussed last night, but the fact that we had a debate is a really good thing because it brings focus to the process. It, it brings focus to the election cycle, and maybe people will get involved. But let me tell you this. whether If you're a Democrat, if you're in the middle and you lean Democrat or you're in the, in the middle and you lean Republican, you better focus that the chief executive of our state ha- doesn't have power as it relates to the constitution of our state. That's in the legislature. But he does have appointment power. So when it comes to judges, adjunct general, if the Senate were to come open, um, you know, the, the, it, it, you may not know exactly how you're going to vote, but if you're if you tend to lean Democrat or you tend to lean, lean Republican, you better you better realize that the that our governor has appointment power, and that is a really really big deal. That's a reason that if you're not super motivated either way, if you're not highly uh, 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 motivated to vote for either guy, you probably ought to go ahead and vote anyway. I really urge everyone to vote. You know, participate in democracy, and realize that the uh, governor of the state of Mississippi can really uh, can really make a big difference. And if you're leaning Democrat or you're leaning Republican. And you better you go better vote vote appropriately. You know, it's it occurs to me that it, it you know you're not just voting for a governor 
next Tuesday. You're voting for a government because there are so many agencies, executive agencies that fall under the governor's purview, state agency directors, boards and commission, college board appointments. Um, the governor has power to build a large infrastructure in government in Mississippi that's going to dictate how a lot of things go over the next four years. And so, uh, but we never hear about those things, really. I mean, it's always so focused on three or four very succinct issues that there are disagreements on. But you make a very valid point there, Ricky, which is stakes are incredibly high in these races. Uh, They're incredibly high in these elections, Uh, just as they always have been. Um, Ricky, I hear the music coming up here. Would you mind sticking around with me for another segment? Uh, And we'll dig deeper into some other things. We'll get off of debate and, and governor's race for a minute. We'll talk about some of the things that are happening nationally and in the world. Got another, got another few you minutes. You I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Ricky. This is Ashley Edwards. I'm joined by Ricky Matthews. We're live in the Element Well studios. We're going to go to break now, and we'll see you right on the backside of this. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays. This is Ashley Edwards. We're live here in the Element Well studio. Joining me is Ricky Matthews. Superstar and host of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Ricky, let's switch uh, gears a little bit from our last segment and start talking about some national politics and some international politics. Something that I know that has been close to your heart, uh, and we, you and I have talked about before on your show, is, is what's going on in, in Ukraine and, of course, now what's going on in Israel. And um, there's a lot of things going on in Washington right now to determine funding. Um, you, you're seeing this continued sort of infighting and the factions among the Republican Party, disagreement between the House and the Senate on how they're going to approach the funding bills for for Ukraine and Israel. It seems to me that some of these issues are more black and white than we give them credit for. Politics likes to get caught in, up all this, in all this gray minutia. But you've got two situations here where sovereign, independent people were attacked. Um, and it makes sense that if, if the United States uh, is going to continue to hold its moral authority in the world, it has to stand up and say, we support Ukraine and Israel. Um, but it's getting caught up in sort of the spokes of, of politics in Washington right now. What are your thoughts on where we stand today with that? Well, I think, the, you know, we have a new speaker. And, uh, you know, he's I think he's saying the right things. Obviously, he's got to work through the politicization of Ukraine. I was surprised, as you were, that that the the situation in current Ukraine became so politicized so fast. Um, and that's a, that's a little bit unfortunate. 
I think he's saying the right thing. I think, you know, there are concerns about corruption in Ukraine. So if they were to provide funding and put some kind of accountability measures in place, I think you know, who's going to argue with that? I think that's a move in the right direction. So I think that may be the way that he's going to thread that needle. Uh, as it relates to Israel, <clears throat> I don't think there's anybody who who is, is watching as closely and understands our alliance with Israel that would say that we don't need to fund them. What What has amazed me, though, frankly, is that there has been this rise of anti-Semitism. That's the thing that has surprised me the most. And uh, you know what it what it shows, Ashley, coming back to all the conversations you and I have had about social media, it's too easy to mislead people. It's too easy to spread misinformation. And people as a re- general rule, too many people as a general rule, especially young people, don't take the time to do their own homework. They get caught up in whatever the narrative is that's being fed to them. And frankly, the way it works is the more you interact with that narrative, the more of that kind of information you get. That's the way these algorithms work. And it has a tendency to help people be convinced of one thing when, in fact, something entirely different is actually happening. It's scary. It really is. You know what? It's hard for me to get our head around. I know where you live. We live near each other on Back Bay and Biloxi. The wall and between Israel and and Gaza is about where the 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 beach is and and on the coast. Okay, so if you think about where we live, is about where the music festival was happening. So that's how far they had to come to get to the music festival. But many of those those small towns along that that strip there are very near the wall. Can you imagine going to bed at night? And worrying about what's going to come over. Hey, I have to tell you that that I talk about. I've talked about my farmer friends up in the Mississippi Delta on my Super Talk Outdoor Show, but they who I lease a considerable amount of land from. They own land in Yuma, Arizona as well. Can you imagine living in Yuma, Arizona, or any other border town? And 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 what and wondering what's come over the border and might they come to my house i mean th- these are the kind of thoughts that are going through people's heads today man it's it we we live in a very unsettling place right now we better come to grips with a lot of this we need to fund ukraine we need to help funding in in, in israel and we need to address our border that's a big issue i completely agree with you on that ricky and i i think a lot of mississippians understand this sentiment because at the end of the day when your daughter or your son is sleeping across the hall from you and you can't go to bed and close your eyes knowing that they're going to be safe, that someone's not going to come in in the middle of the night, terrorists are not going to come in in the middle of the night, kidnap them, murder them, use them as pawns in trying to make a political point, essentially, which is what Hamas was really doing, um, you know, I think any of us, any reasonable person would respond as strongly as their resources would allow them to do. And so, you know, it's and it's difficult for me, Ricky. <laughs> I, I watch what's going on in the in the college campuses in the United States. My, Tulane, one of my alma maters, Harvard, one of my alma, other alma maters. Um, you know, I've never been one to use the word woke. It's not – I don't like the culture wars. It's not part of my DNA. But I will tell you, since this issue with, with Israel began and watching the response, when people can't tell the difference between a terrorist who is committing ter- just atro- atrocious terrorism and a freedom fighter – and when those lines are blurred, it seems like we've really lost something in this country of understanding the difference between good and bad, good and evil, right and wrong. 
What are your thoughts on that? Actually, think about it. Think about it. These the terrorists who who came in through paragliding and however else they came there, motorcycles and whatever, into each of these little enclaves. They wore GoPro devices. I mean, you can see. I don't. You know, I'm not encouraging anyone to see, but the collection of GoPro images that are coming off of that. I mean, and then you see the the number of dead and children, and all, I mean, entire communities wiped away. And what happened at the music festival? The fact that even with the GoPro evidence that the terrorists themselves wore, people still denied that that actually happened. That is the world we're in today. That is amazing to me that we would that we're able to twist people's minds so much that that we can create alternate views of reality or in in this case a view of reality that it never actually happened. That's amazing to me, man. That li- that we live in a place like that that makes it so difficult for us to cause people to want to do the right thing. What, you know, to 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 be able to differentiate between right and wrong. And if there has ever been a clear issue of that is in, in this moment as it relates to Hamas and Israel. It is, we are in that moment. I, I think you're right. I do think this is a clarifying moment. And I think it's important, especially with what's been happening in America. This is the most divided America that has existed in decades. And uh, you, you, you know that. I know that. We talk about that a lot. But what I see happening now, especially as a result of the response to what's going on in Israel, is that we're no longer separating strictly among party lines. There are Democrats and Republicans who can easily agree this is crazy. Some of the things that are being said are crazy. And it's starting to create a, a new contrast, not in terms of, you know, what team do I belong to, what political team do I belong to, but can I see the difference between good and evil? And it yeah. reminds us of some things that we've lost. It reminds us uh, all, whether we're Democrats or Republicans, ultimately, uh, that people deserve the ability to be safe in their own homes. They deserve uh, freedom from terrorism. Uh, they should not have to be subjected to the kind of things that we've seen in Ukraine and Israel. Um, and I wonder if that will be a bit of a unifying situation in Washington, because we do see now there is bipartisanship on some of these funding questions. Um, do, do you feel like that this is one of those sort of catalysts or defining moments in which people really have to pick a side about where do we fundamentally stand? Yeah, you know what's going to happen? It's going to have to hit home. And unfortunately, I, I'm afraid, Ashley, I hate to say this, but some terrorist act is going to occur in the United States. There's and, and it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be uh, related directly back to the open borders. I'm afraid that that actually may happen. And when that happens, there's going to be an awakening in America, just like after 9/11, and we're going to have to come together. And it's unfortunate that we're in that moment, but that. <sighs> You know, it seems inevitable to me. I hope I hope that's not the case. Or I pray that's not the case. But it seems inevitable. You know, nine eleven is is now uh, twenty two years behind mm-hmm. us, and so so many folks have forgotten. I mean, you know, my children weren't even alive when when that happened. Um, I see adults now that will say, "Well, you know, I was in elementary school and didn't really understand it." And so, so much of that has gone out of our mind. And I'm I'm afraid you're right, Ricky. I mean, you know, it is. Um, 
I, I don't blame Republicans in Washington that say, you know, we don't necessarily uh, we don't necessarily have opposition to funding Ukraine, but we also want to see an effort to make sure our own borders are secure. And um, I think that that stands hand in hand. If you're going to secure uh, other people in other countries, we need to make sure that we're also secure here in America. Uh, but on the same note, it's not an either or situation. It can be an and situation. We can fund Israel. We can fund Ukraine. We can secure our border. You agree with that? You know, hey, actually, the polar the polarizing ends in our country too often define the conversation. That certainly happens in Washington. Um, it's interesting that while all these polarizing issues have taken place, there is the contingent within within Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, that have actually been able to come together on lots of things. You know, I hope we can continue to do that. Um, sometimes there needs to be a clarion call. That sometimes there has to be a very compelling case for action. And uh, I, I think what's swirling around Israel and the Jewish community, or really around the world. It may create for us that that possibility. We, we shall see. Ricky, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining me today. This has been Ricky Matthews, host of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk. Uh, stick with us through this break. We're live in the Element Well Studios, and we'll be back very shortly. Come on, come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. We're live in the Element Well Studios. This is Ashley Edwards. I'm guest hosting for Gerard today, and you're listening to Middays. Uh, Gerard's going to be back tomorrow. In fact, he's going to be with Sports Talk Mississippi. They're going to be down at the, uh, actually up at the Greater Starkville Partnership Development in downtown Starkville tomorrow. You'll get to hear a lot tomorrow all about the incredible things happening in Starkville, Mississippi's college town. So tune in again. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that uh, you'll be glad to have Gerard and some of his views on what happened with the debate. Uh, just before we went to the break, Rhino, we were talking a little bit about what was going on in Israel. And during the break, I, I pulled up here some of the headlines, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at what's going on in Gaza. Uh, you know, Israel is really starting to ramp up their attacks in Gaza. They actually have robots now going through the tunnels, trying to to clear those tunnels out. And um, you know, to me, this has just been a there's been a sense of sort of clarity of moral or clarity of values here in terms of the fact that if if I was Israel, I'd be doing exactly the same thing. I've been glued to the news, watching what's going on in Israel. And I think it's one of the biggest issues uh, in America today, even though a lot of people necessarily aren't paying attention to it. What do you think? Yeah, it, it feels like, for some reason or another, the vast majority of mainstream media has a pro-Palestinian tilt to it. So the the people that are clear-eyed and sane are just tuning that out and because of that there's not a lot of conversation about how do we solve these problems how do we end this war how does how does peace win out because you you have so many people that are oblivious willfully oblivious to the atrocities committed by the Hamas terrorists and those people seem to only want to call for a ceasefire and that just 
that, that, that doesn't work. If you throw the first punch, you started the fight. You don't get to go, wait, 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 no more fighting. That, that's not how it works. You don't get to play the victim when you start a war that you're losing. I, absolutely right. And, you know, look, I, I'm reasonable enough to look at what's going on over there. You know, it's hell living in Gaza. It, it's hell being a Palestinian. Um, but they're living under the authoritarian terrorist rule of Hamas. And I think any reasonable person couldn't argue that the Palestinians' lives are not going to get better. Their future is not going to become clear until Hamas is eliminated. And so, to me, if you're pro-Palestinian, you ought to be pro-elimination of Hamas. Because as long as Hamas is in charge, as long as they dictate what's going on there, Palestinians are going to continue to suffer. And in many ways, I think the, the you know, Hamas obviously did this for propaganda purposes. They've gotten back on the radar. Uh, but they, they signed their own death warrant because there is no way that a sovereign people is gonna, are going to be attacked uh, by terrorists in the way that occurred, and there's not going to be a swift uh, and a very strong response to it. And I think clear-headed leaders throughout the world see that. And so you got these dividing lines now. You, you know, Putin, for example, suggesting Israel doesn't have the right to defend themselves. Some of these other strong men in third world countries. Well, there's uh, a reason Putin thinks that. Well, absolutely, absolutely, he's he's doing the same thing. You know, it's it's always ironic to me uh, that people don't see the parallels between what has happened in Ukraine and, and what's happened in, in Israel. But again, you know, American history is full of these clarifying moments. These moments when re- Reasonable people, though they may come from different geographic places, maybe they are of a different political ilk, but they see very similarly what's going on. And I think that Ukraine and Israel has has been one of those situations. Um, Look, maybe it provides us some hope. Maybe it provides us some hope that we can get past some of these divisions and polarizations that we see in the United States. I think there's also a a bit of a generational divide because we – we are losing the greatest generation to age. And the greatest generation is the last generation of Americans that had to see firsthand the war is hell and the devastation that comes with fighting war in an urban environment. Absolutely. Because World War II in Europe was very much a war fought in urban environments. And a lot of the soldiers that saw that, that could be providing wisdom and guidance, just aren't with us anymore. So you have a lot of people that are having to relearn lessons that were learned generations ago about just how bad things can get when you fight a war in a heavily populated area. Well said. I mean, you know, history is full of, uh, of examples when... Uh, authoritarian rulers take an inch, they get a mile, and then next thing you know, we're in a world war. And uh, this one, this thing is only getting started. We've only scratched the surface. Stick with us through this break. This is Ashley Edwards. We're live in the Element Well Studios. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah. 
And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Middays. We're live here in the Element Wealth Studio. I'm Ashley Edwards in today, guest hosting for Gerard. Gerard will be back tomorrow. Just a reminder, the C Spire text line is open. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. And Rhino, I was just sitting here looking at some of the text that's been coming in as we've been doing the show. It's been, you know, first time doing the show, it's been tough to kind of follow everything in the text. But one of the kind of sentiments that I've seen coming in on the text, a lot of folks saying, look, I didn't even watch the debate. I was watching the World Series. And, um, you know, yeah, like Darren and Jackson, he says, I watched the World Series. Debates are for people who haven't made up their minds yet. I, I thought that was a great one. Um, and I think he's right about that. You know, I, I will tell you, people that know me know I am a diehard Atlanta Braves fan. I, I live the Atlanta Braves. And, um, you know, after they got eliminated, it was tough for me to tune into anything else. Uh, but nonetheless, since the Phillies didn't make it into the World Series, I was at least happy with the two teams that were there. The Texas Rangers obviously winning the World Series last night. Boy, they played really well. They were like 11-0 and on the road during the postseason, which is absolutely incredible. Texas, you know, took a real run this year, obviously putting together a roster. Um, they spent a lot of money. Uh, you know, it was interesting. Uh, DeGrom and Max Scherzer, who were together at the Mets for a time, ended up getting their World Series ring together with the Texas Rangers uh, after the Mets implosion. And look, Braves had a great season this year. Uh, I'll always be proud of 2023. Incredible um, offensive numbers. Incredible. Uh, record-breaking. Uh, you know, I, I was looking at an uh, article on Fangraphs the other day, and at the end of the season they go back and they, they look at players um, and they determine what that player should have been worth contractually based on their production. And I think they, they determined that Ronald Acuna's year was worth something like $67 million annual contract. So what a great year. But uh, but I'll tell you, it was made even greater by the fact that the Mets had such a incredible collapse. So I could not get out of my first hosting gig on the radio without making sure that I put in a plug for the Atlanta Braves. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers and for all of you that are Rangers fans out there. Uh, I'm glad that y'all got to have a really good October. Uh, unfortunately, mine ended a little bit early. Are you a baseball fan, Rhino? I was a huge Braves fan growing up. Like, I could I could list off the, the starting lineup, like Terry Pendleton on third, Mark Lemke, Jeff Blauser, Fred McGriff, the days when, when you had that incredible pitching lineup where it seemed like no matter who was starting or who was coming out of the bullpen, the hitters didn't have a chance. And then as I got older, I I grew out of it. I was still kind of a fan, would keep up with it. And then it got to the point in, in late high school and college, I remember setting up a Yahoo score alert to where it would send me a text message with the final score of every Braves game. And it got to a point there for a while where it was like my phone would ding and I'd go, oh, the Braves lost again. It just, it, they had a 
couple down years where it just wasn't quite what you'd want them to be. And then they had the World Series, and it was it was a great run. But I'm I'm amazed that it took this long for Mr. October to have some competition. Because if you think back, he got the name Mr. October for winning the World Series MVP and hitting the home runs, but he did it with two different teams. Right. And last night, Corey Seager became only the second person to win World Series MVP for two different teams. Boy, Seager had a great year, a great season. It, it was really, it was really something to watch. And you know, I, I often say, you if you're a baseball fan, you almost have to bifurcate it in between the regular season and, and and the postseason because anything can happen in October. The best teams don't always make it to the World Series or win the World Series. I think no doubt. The Atlanta Braves were the most dominant team throughout the regular season, bar none. And just that lineup top to bottom, the talent there, uh, the fact that they would go out and score seven, eight, nine, ten runs a night, unbelievable. And then the layoff happens, they get a they get a bye in the first round, and you know, they just stop hitting. And so, um, you know, I, I think the regular season almost has to have its own trophy, so to speak, because it's so hard um, to just have that momentum going into October. And the team that is, you know, in, in 2021, the Braves were not the best team throughout the season. No. Um, but, you know, in, in October, they just had that magic. So baseball, you know, baseball is magic. Um, congratulations to all the Texas Rangers fans out there on your World Series victory. I hope the Braves have something for you next year. Have you seen? the Rangers World Series victory t-shirts, their merchandise. I have not. Oh, it, I'm not a Rangers fan. I I have appreciation for some of the all-time greats, like Nolan Ryan played for the Rangers. Uh, Rafael Palmero played for the Rangers. Big Mississippi State guy there. But uh, their, their merchandise for their World Series win has a kind of a cartoon of a Texas Ranger pointing his pistol at a Diamondback, and it says, you'll make good boots. I love it. You know, I, I, one of the things I love, too, I, I, I caught the beginning of the first game of the World Series, and back in, uh, back in the, 20, uh, the, excuse me, the 2000 election, um, the first time I ever volunteered for a political campaign was for the George W. Bush for president campaign. Of course, he threw out the first pitch. And just seeing the swagger he had coming out of the dugout uh, and throwing out that first pitch, I thought to myself, gosh, these guys are destined here. It really seemed to me from the beginning they were destined to win it. Uh, Texas Rangers, good on you. Good on you, Texas Rangers. Um, let me tell, tell you a little bit about what we got coming up for the rest of the show. We're here in the 12 o'clock hour. Uh, about 12.20, when we come back from our next break, we'll have David Beria, a former Mississippi legislature, uh, excuse me, a legislator, and a former Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate seat here in Mississippi from the coast. I've known David for a lot of years. David really is coming on as a surrogate of the Presley campaign, so we'll get back to talking a bit about the debate last night about the gubernatorial campaign, and uh, we'll get a little bit of a different perspective than we got in the beginning of the show from Frank Bordeaux, someone coming from the Democratic side. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that discussion. Uh, but before we get there, Rhino, I wanted to just kind of follow up on what we were talking about before we went to break earlier with what was going on in, or what is going on in Israel. Um, you know, you think about what would have happened if that had been the United States. And obviously, we, we know what the response was to 9-11, the war on terror, the things that happened there. Um, 
and and frankly, we may get to find out because it is very likely uh, you hear the warnings coming out of federal agencies, the FBI saying the terror threat is increasing based on what's happening in Israel. Uh, and I pray to God that we do not have that happen. Uh, but if Americans are attacked either domestically or abroad, um, I, I hope that the Biden administration is going to show the strength and the backbone to stand up. Um, and, you know, a lot of the rhetoric coming out of the administration uh, was very strong early on. Now, I, I read some headlines yesterday where Biden was sort of supporting a, a ceasefire. But, you know, I was surprised to learn, and, and of course, these numbers are a couple of days old now, American forces had been attacked 23 times by, uh, by Iranian proxies, uh, Hezbollah, the, the Houthis in, in, uh, in Yemen. And, you know, we've, we've had some response. There have been some, some relatively small attacks. But it comes across to me as a, a neutral observer, um, as, as you know, we're trying to be very targeted, very specific in our responses, as so as not to escalate. Um, and I just don't know that ultimately the decision about escalation is going to be uh, on the United States' behalf. doesn't feel like it. I mean, it really feels like, uh, you know, the, the rhetoric coming out of Iran, um, the, the financing that they've put into these terror organizations across the Mideast, the proximity to U.S. forces in the Middle East, um, it really seems to me like this thing is going to end up escalating whether we want it to or not, um, and that could be a very, very serious thing. Yeah, it could wind up with us reacting to something which is never a position you want to be in when it comes to geopolitical strife. Absolutely right. You want to be on the front foot, and it doesn't feel like this administration is prepared to be on the front foot. You know, it's a tough position to be in. Uh, you think about going into 2024. You know, we've got arguably the most contentious presidential election in modern American history coming up. War in the Middle East. War in Ukraine. 2024 is going to be a heck of a year, Rhino. Um, and uh, I just hope we all make it through it in one piece. This is Ashley Edwards. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. We're going to go to break now, but when we come back, we'll have David Beria, former Mississippi legislator and former Senate candidate, uh, here to talk on behalf of the Presley campaign about the debate last night and the governor's race. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. The stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back. We're live here from the Element Wealth Studios on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Ashley Edwards, filling in for Gerard today. 
Uh, and we're joined by David Beria, former Mississippi legislator and a former candidate for Senate, U.S. Senate from the state of Mississippi. David, how are you today? Thank you for joining us. Man, I'm doing great. How are you, Ashley? Thank you for having me, by the way. Oh, I'm very happy to have you, David. You and I have known each other for a number of years, got to know each other a little bit after Hurricane Katrina, and and worked on a number of issues and initiatives over the years. So it's great to have you here, to have your perspective. Uh, We talked a lot earlier in the show about the debate last night and the governor's race. You're supporting Brandon Presley and and here to sort of serve as a surrogate for his campaign. Uh, Tell me some of your thoughts about the debate last night from watching. Well, first and foremost, I think that Brandon clearly won the debate because of his message on expanding Medicaid and tackling corruption and cutting the grocery tax. But um, I guess the in, in terms of larger themes, uh, I felt like, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible here, but I felt like Brandon's presence was much more commanding uh, and his his leadership capabilities, I think, came through. Uh, when he talked about his guts and backbone. I, I mean, it just, to me, made Tate seem uh, mousy and uh, doctrinaire. And I know I've had the pleasure to meet both of those people. Brandon's an old friend of mine. I've known Tate for several years. And I, it just seemed very clear to me that Brandon uh, did the better job in that debate last night. You know, David, you're an old political pro, a pro of of many campaigns. You've run a statewide race, and so you've sat in that seat knowing what it's like. It just occurs to me that turnout is really going to be uh, the deciding factor here. Who can turn out their voters? And that's gotten more and more difficult as Mississippi has become a redder state. But we also know, based on the demographics of the state, if if black voters turn out in big numbers, if voters from northeast Mississippi and the Delta come out for Brandon Presley, this is likely going to be a very close race. It certainly seems that way now. Uh, in your mind, What's the closing message for the Presley campaign in getting their voters to the polls to actually vote? Well, first of all, let me say it's uh, surprising to me as a you know longtime political observer that it that it does come down to turnout, and that's because Brandon Presley and his campaign has done such an excellent job of fundraising so that they could keep pace with the Tate Reeves money machine. Uh, but but turnout is going to be critical, and I know that it is all hands on deck, that they have a plan, the campaign has a plan uh, to, to get the votes, get the souls to the polls, if you will, on Election Day. And his closing message, I think, has to continue to be that uh, that expansion of Medicaid is a tide, a rising tide that lifts all boats uh, in our state in terms of providing health care to citizens who don't have it. And, th- and this group of people that we're talking about, remember, 230,000 uninsured working people in Mississippi uh, are disproportionately people of color. And I think he has to keep pressing the issue that Tate has been pay for play the entire time he's been in politics. And you have to look no farther than the I-55 corridor and look to the west and look to the east and see that where Tate has put all of his uh, the, the economic development money that he crows about, it's all on the east side of I-55. There are very few, if any, projects that go on the west side of I-55, which, of course, is where the Delta is, where the Mississippi River counties are. And, and Brandon has to keep reminding people uh, that that's the way Tate has governed and will continue to govern. 
You know, I think about four years ago uh, when Jim Hood ran against Governor Reeves, and I think political observers in Mississippi believed then that it was going to be a very close race. Um, It was close, but certainly not that close in the grand scheme of things. Tate had a pretty commanding victory over Jim Hood. Jim Hood being a figure that had been well-known in Mississippi politics for quite some time, re-elected a number of times as attorney general, uh, great name recognition across the state. Brandon Presley, last night, may have been the first time that a lot of folks in Mississippi got to see him on a stage like that, and very polished, great retail politician. But do you worry that if Jim Hood couldn't make it across that finish line, we're going to see a a repeat of four years ago? Well, of course, that's a concern, but Brandon Presley is a different person. He's a different campaigner, and I think, uh, in, in no disrespect to my friend Jim Hood, I think Brandon has done a better job. First of all, he has taken absolutely nothing for granted. He's visited all 82 counties. Uh, he is probably the best retail politician that I have seen in my lifetime in the state of Mississippi. He's raised a considerable amount of money, as I've already alluded to. And, and the thing about Brandon Presley that I really like is his ability to punch back. And he can do so without being really offensive. Uh, so it, he's relatable and he doesn't take uh, anything lying down. He's going to come back at you and he's going to call you out when you're, when you're misrepresenting things, which is what Tate has done and did last night again in the debate. And Brandon just won't take it. He's going to, he's going to tell him, uh, you know, that's not true. And this is why. So, and, and one other comment on that, Ashley, the, the race that Hood ran was, was a good one. And the percentage may not have looked as close as uh, we, we might have wanted as Democrats, but the number, the raw vote, was only about 47,000 votes separating Tate Reeves and Jim Hood. And, and that is something that if we can have the type of turnout that we have in presidential election years, or maybe even the type of turnout we had for Mike Espy uh, in 2018 in the runoff, um, or in, in two years later when he ran, then uh, th- this is a hill that we can surmount. You know, one of the things that I think has been really clear from the Presley campaign mm-hmm. since the beginning, and I think it's I think it's smart, pragmatically, I think it's very smart, is they're trying to reach out to those sort of center-right Republican voters who might cross over, who, who might be willing to cross over and vote. Um, and, you know, equally, I think, as smart has been the way that the Reeves campaign has painted uh, the fundraising that Brandon Presley has done, the money that's come in from out of state. You know, in some ways, the first test of this campaign was, can Brandon Presley keep up with Tate Reeves from a fundraising standpoint? And he's done that. In fact, he's even surpassed that. Um, do, do you have concern that for that crossover voter, that undecided voter that sees the, the big money coming in from California or New York, the things that Tate alluded to last night, that that might give them pause? And what would you say to those folks? Well, I don't have as much concern about that as I think the, um, the, the Tate Reeves campaign um, you know, wants to elevate it to. And, and obviously he's got his surrogates out there talking about that issue because he's concerned about it. He's never had to worry about somebody having more money than him. So this is a, a new dilemma for him to have. And this is the way he's decided to confront it uh, by, by going after the uh, geographical location of Brandon Presley's campaign contributors. But uh, ironically, I was asked about six months ago 
uh, you know, how a Democrat running for governor could uh, could fund a race and uh, would they have to seek money from outside the state? And I said, absolutely. And let me tell you why, because when one party has complete and total control of a state, a super majority in both chambers, they have the ability to appoint every single uh, board chairman, a board member, commissioner, uh, and and, um, and can award contracts to their contributors like Tate has done, then the, the other party has to look elsewhere because all the money gets sucked up by uh, that party that's in charge. Of course, that's the GOP in Mississippi and Tate's been in a position to, to suck all that money up for a decade uh, or more. So, so that's the reality of the situation, but I think that's something that only the, the um, political insiders really give much thought to. So it may be real important in this sphere that you and I are in today, but I don't think it's very important to voters at all. And, and uh, if they were considering that, I would tell them that don't they agree it's time for change? And the only way you're gonna get change is to have a candidate who's funded well enough so that they can do battle and make it about turnout. Because if it, it, we only get to that point where it's about turnout if you have enough money to be competitive. And uh, Brandon Presley has done a great job of raising the money necessary to be competitive. You know, one of the most expensive governor's races in Mississippi history, Brandon Presley's raised a lot of money. Tate already had a, a really good campaign chest. Uh, so it's, you know, there's still going to be a lot of spending here just in the in the next few days leading up. And and then, of course, the, the prospect of a runoff uh, always being there in the background with another third candidate in there if neither of the uh, candidates gets to 50%, we could see a runoff. So this could continue for a few weeks. David, would you mind sticking around with us for another block? We're just coming up on a break here. Would you stick around with us for another segment? For you, Ashley, absolutely. Hey, thank you so much. This is David Beria, former Mississippi legislator, former Mississippi uh, U.S. Senate candidate, and we'll be back on the backside of this break. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. You're listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Ashley Edwards, guest hosting for Gerard today, and we're joined by former Mississippi legislator and former U.S. Senate candidate David Beria. Uh, David's been here talking on behalf of the Brandon Presley campaign. We've been talking a little bit about the debate last night. David, one question I have for you, and I want you to translate a little bit for our listeners. I was I was just during the break pulling up Brandon Presley's Twitter or X page, and he says in his bio that he is a populist and an FDR slash Billy McCoy Democrat. What does that mean to you? What what should that mean to voters in Mississippi? 
Well, this is, of course, just my interpretation, but I think what he's trying to say is that he's the type of Democrat that uses the agency of government to get big things done. Uh, and I know that Brandon likes to talk about things like the TVA uh, that was, I believe, first instituted under Governor, I mean, I'm sorry, President Roosevelt. And, and there were, of course, lots of other big, big works projects that were undertaken and some of which were completed under Roosevelt. Well, and likewise, um, you, you know, when uh, when Billy was uh, merely a member of the House and the chairman of transportation, he passed probably the largest transportation infrastructure bill that Mississippi has ever taken up or passed, the, the highway program, which, uh, you know, if you're driving anywhere around our state now and you're driving on a good road, then you can probably thank Billy McCoy and the other folks who he brought along to support that program. It costs a lot of money, but it's how we move commerce and we move people around our state. So I think what Brandon Presley is referring to is the the ability of government uh, through its resources to do big things that help everybody and in the process create jobs. You know, along those lines, Brandon Presley and in, in some of the uh, some of his plans, he's he's talked about increasing spending on things like Medicaid expansion, uh, increasing spending on education. He's also talking about tax cuts, and so um, you know his plan has some similarities to what we saw. Uh, come through the House of Representatives a few years ago, really led by Speaker Gunn, which was cutting the grocery tax, for example. Um, you know, there there are a lot of things there, but at the end of the day, what would you say to a Mississippian that says, how are we going to increase spending in all these various areas and then also cut revenues at the same time? Mississippi's in one of the best financial positions it's ever been in today. That certainly hasn't historically been the case, and you remember those years well, do you think that's a sustainable plan? Well, I absolutely do. If you actually uh, dot your I's and cross your T's, everybody that I have talked to in the last 20 years has complained about the tax on groceries. There's just, there's really doesn't make any sense. And it is a regressive tax that hurts the poorest among us. Uh, and so I think everybody would be in favor of doing away with the grocery tax but you have to offset that decrease in revenue from that tax with revenue from somewhere else. And while you talk about increased spending for Medicaid, that's a good deal for Mississippi because the match is, it, initially it was zero. So we just passed on $2 billion if we had expanded Medicaid uh, at the original opportunity. Two years, $2 billion, it cost us nothing. Now it's 10%. So if I'm going to invest a dollar and get 10 back, that's a pretty good deal for me and my family and in my business, and it is for the state of Mississippi. People have to understand right now that Mississippi is the largest benefactor of federal government largesse in the entire country. So for every dollar we put up in taxes, we get $3 back from the federal government. So when Mississippi and Tate Reeves said, well, we don't want to expand Medicaid and take advantage of that dollar uh, down for $9 back, the, the taxpayers in California and New York that he likes to talk about so much said, whew, thank God, our money's not going to Mississippi. It, it's really uh, just a smart deal that I think your former boss, Governor Haley Barber would have said, well, I'm gonna spend this in a way that helps me politically, but I'm not gonna leave that money on the table. And that's what 
Uh, Tate Reeves and his predecessor, Governor Bryant, did as well. We've left billions of dollars on the table. There's no way that makes economic sense for a state like Mississippi. And it creates jobs if we would expand Medicaid. And perhaps the most important aspect of all of this that we shouldn't forget is it provides insurance coverage for 230,000 of Mississippi's working poor citizens. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Governor Barber. He was really the last governor in Mississippi that had to work with a split legislature. Um, you know, Billy McCoy, obviously Speaker of the House, and so you had Democrat control and a Republican governor. Um, we remember back to the days of Kirk Fordyce and him having to work with the Democrat legislature and just the the vitriol that occurred there. Governor Barber, um, who I believe was one of the best governors, maybe, well, not maybe, the best governor in Mississippi history, really had a knack for being able to work across the aisle and get things done with people that weren't in his party. Um, we've come a long way since then, and we have a much more polarized country, a more polarized state than we did in those days. Let's hypothetically say that Brandon Presley's elected. We know that there are certainly things that the legislature is going to have to go along with that he's saying he's going to get done. You've got a lot of experience working in the legislature. You know as well as anybody that even when one party controls it, they don't always work together well. Do you think Brandon Presley would have the ability to work across the aisle with a Republican House and Senate and actually get these pieces of his plan implemented? Yes, and you don't have to look any further than what Brandon was able to do uh, with uh, broadband expansion in Mississippi. I, I mean, here's a guy who decided that this is something that is needed in communities like where he's from up in northeast Mississippi. And this also goes back to what he says about being a Billy McCoy and Roosevelt Democrat. Um, but, but he saw a need for every child, every family in Mississippi to have access to the internet through expansion of broadband. And he worked that thing like a rented mule. And he got it done with a Republican governor and a supermajority Republican legislature. And, and you once told me, Ashley, that you worked for a governor who decided first, what is the best policy? And then he figured out how to work the politics to make it a reality. That's the kind of governor that Brandon Presley would be. And Tate Reeves is not that guy. He's just not. He's going to decide what's best politics for him first, and then everything else comes second to that. For those that don't know Brandon Presley as well as you do, um, they've seen him obviously as a candidate. They've seen political ads. Uh, they saw him last night in the debate. But what kind of a person is he? What kind of a man is he? Well, Brandon Presley is uh, what you see is what you get guy. I mean, when he talks about his story growing up in the house that, uh, you know, uh, that you can see the ground through the floorboards and, and his mama had to make hard decisions about whether to put food on the table or pay bills. And his father being an alcoholic who was, was murdered when he was a young, young child. That's all true. And that all goes into who he is as a human being. He has an uncle who was... Uh, formerly the sheriff of uh, Lee County, I believe is Lee County, and he was killed in the line of duty. He has a law enforcement background in his family, and and he he is a uh, a non-drinker himself because of his you know what happened with his father. This is a person who eats, drinks, and sleeps Mississippi, and particularly what's good 
for all Mississippians, not just wealthy Mississippians, um, but, but everybody, because he knows what it's like to grow up poor and to be without, and he knows what it's going to take to lift all boats in Mississippi. That's just the kind of man he is. And if Brandon Presley tells you something, you can take it to the bank. Like last night when he said, I don't care who gives me a contribution, they're not going to change who I am. They're not going to change what I believe is right. And he means that because it's true. That's who he is. David, I appreciate you joining us. We've got just about a minute left here. Uh, In the last few seconds we have, do you want to make any bold predictions for next Tuesday? Well, the boldest prediction that I'm going to make is it's going to be razor thin. It's it's going to be a very, very close election. And if uh, the Presley campaign can do what they know needs to be done in terms of getting the turnout uh, out on Election Day, then he'll win. Uh, You know, in the Democratic Party, we have a, a saying it's if we vote, we win. And we just tend to not vote in any years but the presidential election years. So, so we've got to turn out that turn. We got to turn up that turnout machine. Uh, and we have to have help from the kinds of people that I talk to every day down here on the Gulf Coast who are Republicans who tell me, David, I wouldn't tell anybody this, but when I go to the polls on November 7th, I'm voting Brandon Presley. And there are a lot of those people out there, Ashley, and I don't know if they're enough. Uh, but it's going to be very close. But I think Brandon Presley is going to win it in a, in a tight one. Certainly seems like we got a close race, and it's going to be uh, interesting to watch. This has been David Beria. David, thank you so much for joining us. It was really a pleasure to talk with you here today, and uh, um, we'll be watching. You, next, we'll be watching next Tuesday to see what happens. David Beria, again, former Mississippi legislator, former U.S. Senate candidate for Mississippi. We're about to head into a break here. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Stick with us through this break. And when we come back, we're going to close out the show going into the 1 o'clock hour. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back. We're live here in the Element Wealth Studio. You're listening to Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Ashley Edwards, filling in as a guest host today for Gerard. Gerard's going to be back tomorrow. He'll, he, along with Sports Talk Mississippi, will be up at the Greater Starkville Partnership Development in downtown. Please tune in tomorrow. Rhino, appreciate you being with me here today, man. This was oh, my, yeah. my first gig at the uh, at the the driver's seat here behind the uh, behind the microphone. Now you've got a whole new appreciation for it. It, this is hard work. This is not easy. You got to keep up with a lot of moving parts at one time and four different screens I'm looking at, the text line, the the uh the, the the layout here and the timing. It's been really something else, but it's been very enjoyable. I hope the listeners out there enjoyed it. Um if I get to get another chance to come back and do it again, I'll do it even better next time. Oh yeah. Just takes a little practice. You know, it's been a good show. We've talked a lot about the debate. We've talked a lot about the governor's race. Uh, there's obviously a lot of things going on out there in Mississippi and out there in the world, but we've spent a lot of time on those things, especially with the debate last night. 
You know, I, I was I was just thinking after we got finished talking to David Barry, and it's interesting to, to to hear his opinion sort of contrast that with what Frank Bordeaux said earlier. And both of them just gave really good interviews. They they really understand what they're talking about. They both understand it's a tight race. No one's out there trying to claim an easy victory, and I think that's probably true. Um, I keep going back in my mind to, though, you know, it is very, very difficult for a Democrat to win a statewide race in Mississippi, especially in this environment. Um, if Jim Hood wasn't able to do it, will Brandon Presley be able to do it? And, um, you know, that's still to be seen. But, uh, goodness, that that is an uphill climb for a Democrat to win a statewide race. And Tate Reeves, you know, who is not a unpopular governor, not a guy who hurts himself, a smart, policy-oriented guy. Um, no huge scandals, although certainly several of them have have been kind of blown up uh, and obviously used in political advertisements. Uh, but there's a lot of folks that like Tate Reeves across the state. Of course, I live on the coast, which will likely be one of Tate Reeves' strongest parts of the state of Mississippi when that vote occurs, uh, it, as it has been for other Republican governors. And so it's going to be interesting to see, and I think it's really going to come down to who can get their voters out on Tuesday. Yeah, it's the, the voter turnout is really, it's, it's overtaken Medicaid expansion as the key issue, because Medicaid expansion can only motivate so many people to get to the polls. Now it's just a matter of who you got. Yeah, and and who who do you feel comfortable with leading the Magnolia State for the next four years? You know, it's and it's interesting. It actually probably accrues to the Democrats' favor that we have an off-year election, not in a presidential election year. Because if we were like some other states and we elected our governor the same year that we had a presidential election, you would think it would be even tougher because that would really turn out Republicans. Although oh, yeah. Democrats certainly turn out in in presidential election years too. But let's face it, a Democrat candidate is not going to win an election in Mississippi for president. That's not going to happen. So we have to ask ourselves, can that happen in a governor's race? Your thoughts? Uh, I'm still of the mindset that unless something just insane happens between now and Tuesday, Governor Reeves is looking at getting reelected by a margin of about three points. I've, I've come down from, at one point I had it up around ten. And I backed it down to five to seven. And after last night, I don't think the governor did himself too many favors to, to gain much more support. But then again, I don't feel like Brennan Presley did himself any favors either, especially when he got a little heated and agitated. I, I, that wasn't nearly to the level of Jim Hood saying, well, Tate Reeves can raise a whole lot of money. It wasn't anywhere near that level of politician BS. Yeah. But there were some people, and we've had some people on the text line say that they were turned off by him being a bit of a bully on the stage last night. Yeah. I've seen several texts there, people saying, you know, look, it just, I don't want to vote for someone who's that mean spirited. I mean, they, they, you know, and so it's interesting to see how that plays in the minds of the voters. Some folks might say, well, he came out strong or he came out authoritative. Others say, hey, it's it's bullying, it's mean-spirited, and that turns voters off. And so, 
I think uh, the line of "Look at me when I'm talking to you" was a little bit over the line. That that was a little much. Yeah, I agree. And you know, and and, and on the same note, of course, we watch these debates, hoping there's going to be that zinger, that line. Uh, Tate Reeves' comeback on uh, on Caledonia was was really, I thought, thought his strong point of the night. It was a great line and. Uh, goodness, we've got a long way to go until Election Day. Uh, what, what do we got now? Three, four, five days left. It's going to be a it's going to be a nice lead up back to the election. Of course, just to remind everybody, you can get all of your live up to the minute results from across the state on Super Talk Mississippi's 2023 special election coverage. It's been a real pleasure today, Rhino. Thank you so much for Glad being to with have me. you. This has been a real blast, guys, a, a, a dream of mine to be able to host a show like this, and I appreciate Gerard allowing me to fill in for him. Again, I'm Ashley Edwards. You've been listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. I hope you have a great rest of your afternoon, and I certainly hope I'll get to join you again someday. Thanks so much, guys. Talk Mississippi Media Production.